If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Welcome back to the Call Up, your go-to podcast on all things MLB prospects. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I am the co-founder of JustBaseball.com, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And today's episode is going to be fun. Uh, today, we have a really good one because I'm going to be talking about Keith Law's top 100 prospect list. And I was on the fence about talking about it, and I just had so many people reach out in the DMs or tweet at me, I, I got to get your thoughts on this list. And then I even had a few players, a few prospects reach out and say, what did you think of this thing? Or this thing was a little bit nuts. And so I was like, all right, I got to talk about it. In case you didn't listen to the other two episodes this week, just a quick reminder about the structure of these podcasts moving forward. Mondays are going to be really individual team focused, so we're going to go through different farm systems. This week it was the Mets. As I put out a top 10 prospect right up at JustBaseball.com, you can expect me to then follow that up with an episode on Monday, breaking down that system. Wednesdays are going to be prospect interviews, so this week it was Kyle Nicholas, last week it was Griffin Conine, next week we will have another prospect on, has not been decided yet, uh, but that's something you can expect every single week, along with uh, a sit-down one-on-one, which is on our YouTube, that is separate from the episode, that we go on StreamYard and go over some of their pitches or swings from the season and talk through it. The feedback has been really good on that. The Kyle Nicholas uh, episode of that on our YouTube was really, really fun, where he's just talking about his arsenal as we're watching video, and I'm kind of asking him, you know, why'd you throw this pitch here? Why'd you do that? And he was awesome. Griffin Conine was awesome when we did it as well. So that's a segment I'm very excited about that's a little bit separate from the podcast, but all kind of ties in. Fridays are going to be a bit of a freestyle Friday, meaning that, you know, it'll be a little bit of everything during the season, updates on what happened across the minor leagues during the week, who's hot, who's struggling, uh, whether we should put much stock into it. And then, of course, just any relevant topics and anything that's worth talking about. And that's clearly right now with no minor league games on. It is Keith Law's top 100. Uh, there's been plenty said on on Twitter and just about everywhere about this list. And look, Keith Law's been doing this for a long time, and he has been one of the main guys in the industry for a very, very, very long time, and and for good reason, right? I mean, this guy has a background, he has a lot of experience, but the game does change a lot. The game does adapt, evolve, and if you don't evolve with it, you can be left behind a little bit. Uh, that's not to say Keith is totally you know, out of place and, you know, doesn't see the game the way everybody else should. I don't like to stand on that podium and and say that. At the end of the day, Keith Law is the prospect guy for the athletic. And uh, 
I would love to be in that position ultimately. So it's important to know where you stand, right? And the other thing is prospecting and prospect analysis in general is incredibly subjective. And I'm never going to bash somebody for feeling one way about a player if I feel another way. That's not where my issues really lie with this list and with this analysis. Where my criticism, and I guess where I'll be critical through this episode, is just the selective logic, right? That's where I think anybody is open to being criticized when you go through these lists. When you put out a top 100 list, you're subjecting yourself to being, uh, you know, you're going to get a little bit of backlash no matter what. You can't make all 30 fan bases happy. That's fine. You are expecting that. Or I think it is important and fair to be able to be critical of a writer or, or analyst or scout that's putting together a list like this is where you find flaws in the way that they are trying to present their logic or lack thereof. And I think that is where a lot of fans were upset here. Uh, you know, Keith Law at the end of the day has access to more information, sees a lot more than the average fan and honestly the average uh, person who covers prospects. So it's important to keep that in mind. And if he has a strong feeling about a player, it's worth using that to inspire you to maybe take another look and double check how you feel about that player and do another dive. I think that's totally fair. But when you're seeing some of the, I would say, inconsistencies across the board with this list and inconsistencies with his analysis and explanations, that's where I was a bit uh, surprised. And I think it did uh, affect the, I wouldn't say validity, but I think the better word would just be credibility of the list because of the fact that there's just some flawed logic in there. Uh, on top of that, you have his the way he exchanges with people uh, on Twitter, uh, which is you know not the best way to go about things personally. I just wouldn't do it the way he does it, right? There's a lot of very fair questions. One of our own, Ryan Miller, who will be on next week. Uh, he's our college baseball writer. And very honestly, just asked a question, hey, uh, why no Lodolo? He's, you know, a consensus top 30 guy, and you know how I feel about Lodolo. And um, he said too much risk, never pitched after whatever, after whatever date, which was because of that shoulder fatigue, um, which then Miller followed up and said, okay, well, if Lodolo has risk as a guy who has great command, but we're talking about injury risk, why is D.L. Hall ranked high when he's somebody with command issues and injury risk? And the subsequent response from Law was, I know more about this than you do. Uh, You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. That's where I can understand the frustration. But we're we're not going to talk too much about that. We're just going to go through this list and talk about, you know, some of the surprises and uh, then give you a little bit. I'm going to use this as a little bit of a clue into what our top 100 is going to look like because we are updating that uh, as we speak here should be done by middle of February around Super Bowl time. Uh, And this analysis, I guess, this fly through of this top 100 will give you a little bit of an idea of where our heads are at and where I'm at in my view of a lot of these players as we start ranking them in the updated top 100 lists. So we'll start right from the top. Generally, there's not much debate in terms of who is the top three prospects in baseball. You could interchange them any way. And as I talked about in the episode with Jeff Ponce when we went over Baseball America's top 100 uh, and specifically started with the top three prospects, I was playing the devil's advocate. We were talking about each of the three, but there's no wrong answer between Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, and Bobby Witt Jr. All three are perfectly fine options. The funny thing here, though, is that 
this is not the case. This is the first top prospect list where I've not seen Julio Rodriguez in the top three. He's actually at number nine. And, you know, we're splitting hairs if we're going to be upset about somebody being at number nine. The problem I have here with with Julio Rodriguez being at number nine, aside from the fact that he's close to big league ready, has legitimately put up the same offensive numbers through his minor league career at roughly the same age as Wander Franco. I understand it comes with a little bit more swing and miss, but not much at all relative to you know what he produces. And also, he's not a shortstop, but he's an above-average corner defender. I understand he's not Wander Franco, but the offensive production being right there makes it pretty hard to deny this guy of being a top three prospect. And what's even crazier is that Julio Rodriguez last year was ranked like 26th. I know it was after 20. It was 24 or 26th by Keith Law in his top prospect ranking, and that was already pretty absurd then. So to me, it looks like I'm admitting I'm wrong a little bit if I'm Keith Law here, but I don't want to fully cave and become the or have the same opinion that everybody else had here, right? Because I just don't know how you can justify having some of the guys ahead of him that you do. Like, I I love all of the prospects ahead of him. I really do. I love Francisco Alvarez. I love Shane Boz. I love Moreno. You know how I feel about all those guys if you've been listening to me for a little bit. Uh, But even Torkelson, he's awesome. But Julio Rodriguez was doing that to high A pitching and double A pitching, you know, at a younger age and is doing that still at a younger age and is more athletic. I just find it a bit interesting uh, to have it stacked up like this, especially with Torkelson's limitation to first base. So to me, it just seems like a little bit of just hesitation to uh, say I was fully wrong and conform to what the rest of the views are, where it's consensus top three for everybody else. Again, splitting hairs, I love Riley Green enough to where if he's at three, which he is in this list, I'm not going to lose sleep. Torkelson's at four, not going to lose sleep. Abrams at five. These are all studs. Moreno at six. I love all those guys, so it's perfectly fine. I just think it is a little bit extreme to have Julio Rodriguez at nine, but again, you know, we're, we're splitting hairs a little bit there. Going through the rest of the top 20, you know, there's not much issue there. Cartaya, Diego Cartaya of, of the Dodgers catching prospects, very young, 20 years old. I love Cartaya, but 13 is a bit too high given his extreme, extreme dependency on, on going to the pole side right now. Um, some struggles with being in and out of the zone a little bit. It's a makeup thing. It's a signing bonus thing. It's a fact that he's already tapping into power and has some good tools behind the dish. I just think 13 is high, right? I'm not ranking this guy above Grayson Rodriguez. There, there's just no way that that Diego Cartaya is ahead of Grayson Rodriguez at this juncture, who is very next at 14. These are not the big issues. I will get to those. I love Corbin Carroll at 16. Nolan Gorman at 17 is a bit high for me. Uh, I think it's a bit high for most people. But at the end of the day, Gorman had a great year, and he's young and made it all the way up to AAA. Uh, But as we start to get going here a little bit, things start to get pretty darn absurd. And frankly... I have to start, and I should have prefaced with this, the fact that you will not hear me mention in this top 100 list two guys who are consensus top 100 guys and uh, viewed as top 50 guys by most, Max Meyer and Nick Lodolo don't make the list. And not only do they not make the list, they didn't even make Keith Law's just missed the list article to follow up. So for Keith Law... These guys are not even, Nicodolo and Max Meyer are not top 150 prospects. That is crazy. I'm going to get to that in in a little bit because to me that is super absurd. Um, But 
yeah, we'll get there. As I continue to fly through the list, we'll get there on the back end. Brian Rocchio at 22, you know, this is something that, you know, Rocchio is a almost guaranteed big leaguer. It's something that Jeff Ponce mentioned a couple episodes ago, how he's just got the makeup. He's a gamer. He does all the little things. Uh, the big league team loves him, and that's something that I think is, is coming straight from the big league team, just saying we really love Rokio, and I think that really impacted the ranking there. I'm okay with him being that high just because of how much the team likes him, because of how respected he is and the way he goes about his game and his instincts and all of those things. Uh, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Jordan Walker at 30, I'd have him a bit higher, but that's fine. Well, we're really going to get into the the big shockers here. I think is funny how he will not let Christian Pache go. And this kind of ties in with Julio Rodriguez. Pache was number four, fourth ranked prospect in last year's, or sorry, excuse me, I am wrong. He was the third ranked prospect in Keith Law's top 100 last year. And now he's the 38th. Pache has no business being on the top end of any top prospect list at this point. The guy has just not been able to swing it. Uh, we've gone through this over and over again, but his swing mechanics are extremely loud. He has a lot of swing and miss. The defense is incredible, and that's the only reason why we still see him continuing to get chance after chance after chance. But, I mean, when you had a lot of balls on the ground, you're very pull-happy, you have a lot of swing and miss, you have an aggressive approach. I could never rank that guy third, let alone even 38th at this point. Struggled mightily in the big leagues and really didn't even fill in, even after Ronald Acuna was out for a while, still did not really get another chance because of how iffy he was in AAA. I'm just really concerned about his offensive potential. I think the glove will keep him in the big leagues no matter what, even if he's a Jake Marisnik type, but he will always have those offensive questions. I just don't think he's going to be able to quell those. And speaking of offensive questions, Ronnie Mauricio at 40 is absurd. Ronnie Mauricio swings at everything. We just talked about him in the Mets top prospect uh, discussion. He's not a top 100 prospect for me at this point. He's a below average runner. Yes, he offers some power, and I would say he actually offers almost plus power potential given he's only 166 pounds. There's a lot to like there, and I'm not saying give up on this guy as a prospect. He still has a ton of upside, switch hitter with power, but below average runner, has tools at shortstop, commits a lot of errors. It's just a lot of tools and not a lot of production for number 40 overall on the prospect rankings. As we fly through, this is... This is where it gets crazy. Jordan Balazovic of the Twins, and I realize I might have been saying it wrong in the past. It's Balazovic of the Minnesota Twins. A good pitching prospect, a guy that, you know, could have a case in the back end of the top 100 potentially, uh, but not in Keith Law's eyes. The 23-year-old is actually 43rd in this list. 43rd. And look, he's a guy that, was a little bit banged up at the beginning of the season, got stronger as the year went on, is sitting, you know, 95, has pretty good stuff with the slider, still finding the feel for the changeup. But again, this is not a guy that I am ranking ahead of George Kirby like Keith Law has. I honestly wouldn't even have him ahead of Max Meyer or Nick Lodolo, who of course he's ahead of because they're not even on the list. I'll make this real simple because of the fact that George Kirby's behind him and I can just make this very just apples to apples, both pitched in double A, both had decent years. George Kirby had a higher K rate, lower walk rate, has a higher average velocity on his fastball, has better mechanics, and I would say has an overall better track record of just commanding his offerings. Yes, 
the secondary stuff for for Balazovic was a little bit more exciting, maybe the breaking ball, but the command is just off the charts for Kirby. Both have good frames. Kirby's a better athlete. I, I really don't know how you could justify having Balazovic ahead of him. Frankly, I honestly don't even think that Balazovic would rank himself ahead of George Kirby. It's that extreme. There's a few guys on this list that I legitimately don't even think would rank themselves ahead of some of these guys that they are ranked ahead. The other interesting thing is you talk about the risk, and I'm I'm always going to try to look for, as I mentioned earlier, some of the inconsistencies in these rankings. Mackenzie Gore is at 59, and Mackenzie Gore is the definition of risk. We went through the Padres system recently. Definitely go check that episode out where I do a deep dive into Mackenzie Gore. I'm not ready to give up on him at all. He's still only going to be 23 years old. He's still closer to 20. I think he's still 22 years old. Really good athlete. Fastball was back up to the mid 90s and started to show a better feel for the slider again. And the changeup was coming back a little bit. He still has a lot of a reason. There's still a lot of reason to be excited about him. But if we're going to cite risk with Nick Lodolo and not cite risk for a guy in Mackenzie Gore who didn't pitch for a good portion of the beginning of the season with no injury designation because of some of the things he was going through on the mound. Again, this is this is selective rationale here and, and not something that I think is hard to follow for fans. Another crazy one to me is Geraldo Perdomo at 63. What could you like about Geraldo Perdomo that you don't like about Oswald Peraza? Because Peraza is in the way back of the list behind Kevin Smith. Yes, that Kevin Smith the shortstop of no longer for the Toronto Blue Jays, who legitimately coming into this year was a question, or in 2020, excuse me, there was pretty much to the 11th hour a question as to whether he would be added to the 40-man to protect him from the Rule 5 draft because of how bad his 2019 was. I'll give him credit. He had a great year in AAA last year, earning himself a call-up where he struggled in 18 games. Not going to put too much into the 18-game struggles at the big league level, but this is a guy that's moved to either third base or corner outfield, and at the end of the day, the bat's going to be the big carrying tool with a lot of swing and miss in his background. I think it could be a solid big leaguer, but if this is a guy that was a year ago, we were talking about maybe not even being protected in the Rule 5. Now he has one good season in AAA as a 24-year-old, now 25 years old, and we're ranking him ahead of Oswald Peraza? That's outrageous to me. And again, I don't think Kevin Smith has himself ahead of Oswald Peraza. What is he better at than Oswald other than being able to hit for a little bit more power? Oswald is a premium defender at shortstop, a plus runner, great bat to ball skills, and now developing power. I just don't know what the rationale is there. And just to take it a step further, I mean, Fangraphs just came out with their top prospect update. For the Blue Jays, Kevin Smith was at 16, and that's about where he belongs. I think he's a little bit better than that, uh, but 16th in their system, and somehow he's a top 100 guy in this one. So that shows you how just polarizing uh, these beliefs are uh, between where I've never seen Kevin Smith even remotely considered on any other list. That was a very, very crazy one because we're talking about risk. This is a guy that has never hit and now is playing a different position and is not a shortstop and That sounds like risk to me at 89th, which is where he has him, 89 right there. That is nuts. To follow the left-handed pitching issue as well in terms of just citing risk with Lodolo, but then having some of these other guys. Asa Lacey at 90. Asa Lacey is someone that was left off Baseball America's Top 100 list entirely. I am going to be transparent here. I am really, 
on the fence as to whether we are keeping him on the top 100. I think he's going to be on the back end and survive and stay on the top 100 because the stuff is so legit. But this guy threw 75% fastballs. His command was brutal. He never made it above high A. There's some makeup questions in the way he carries himself. And I just don't know if that is a surefire top 100 guy. I'm not going to be upset about him being a top 100 guy. But again, if you're leaving off Nick Lodolo but putting on Asa Lacey, where is the consistency there? I'm not so sure. Also, I'm not the biggest Jordan Groshans guy in the world, but are you really telling me that Kevin Smith is a better prospect than Groshans? Because you look at where Groshans is, he's at 99. Kevin Smith is at 89. That is where it gets even more interesting when we're talking about guys in the same org and you're stacking them up against each other and you're actually putting one ahead of the other. That is quite fascinating in that regard. There's one piping hot take in here that I actually really like, and it is really extreme to have Harry Ford at 49 catching prospect with the Mariners, but I kind of like it. I mean, Harry Ford was really good at the complex when we got a little taste of him after the draft, but also was just so exciting to watch in the summer circuit, uh, in the showcase circuit, a ridiculous athlete behind the dish. And when we talk about the the risk of high school catchers, they rarely, rarely pan out. Harry Ford hedges that risk. He almost transcends really that entire negative connotation that the position and profile has because he could actually play center field. If center field, or excuse me, if catcher does not pan out, he could legitimately, he has plus speed, would be fine in center field. He has plus raw power, has ridiculous bat speed, a pretty decent field to hit. When you have all that going on, uh, it's hard not to rank this guy in the top 100. He will be a top 100 prospect for us. I just loved seeing him at 49. That was fun. That's an aggressive ranking, but there's rationale behind it. I can understand that. Bobby Miller, 50. Espino, 51. I'm a little bit higher on both of those guys. You'll see them be higher in our top 100, but there's nothing crazy about that. Casas at 56. I have Casas in the top 20, but I can understand it if you have the approach of first baseman generally being ranked lower uh, just because of the fact that the bat has to carry. I'm totally fine with that type of approach as well. Sam Bachman at 60. I like Bachman. I think he could be in a big league bullpen pretty pretty soon, maybe even tomorrow with the fastball slider combination. Uh, but for a 60th ranked guy, we haven't really seen him do it in professional baseball yet. Not that much, at least. And this is a guy that was pitching mid-major, Miami of Ohio. The stuff is crazy. Fastball was up to 102, but mostly in the upper 90s and a wipeout slider in the low 90s. That's a great one-two punch. And you look at Max Meyer, who doesn't have quite the quality of fastball, but still has a fastball with good bones at 95 to, to 96 range and started to get better as the year went on. But they don't, or he doesn't like Max Meyer because of the two-pitch mix, right? Because it's only fastball slider. Sam Bachman's got a little bit better of a fastball, and about, I would say the same when you look at the slider. I mean, Max Meyer's slider is just off the charts, but Meyer led double A in ERA, right? I mean, this is a guy that was picked third overall, goes straight to double A, skips everything else, goes straight to double A, with it, which is outrageous, and shoves. I understand there's some concerns. You want to see a little bit more of that third pitch implementation. You want to see a little bit more success with the fastball that did not play up the way that we would have hoped, but he still found a way to get out, still dominated double A through the best ERA at the level, and then had a couple fantastic starts in triple A where we started to see the change up more. That's where it's weird to me. Again, selective logic. 
How is Sam Bachman, who we haven't seen much of, who also has the third pitch question, ranked at way ahead? I mean, we're talking 100 spots ahead because Meyer's not even on the list and not on the just missed either, ahead of a guy that carved up in AA and was even better in a couple starts in AAA. That's something that I struggle to follow. Getting back to the shortstop thing, because I realize I digressed a little bit. Perdomo is just not somebody... Kevin Smith took me totally off uh, my entire point here because... Just that one just floored me. I I actually thought that was a joke or like a Photoshop initially when I saw a picture on Twitter. So I rapidly jumped onto my computer and went and looked at the top 100 list. And it wasn't even just Kevin Smith, right? Because again, before I went down that rabbit hole and totally lost track, Geraldo Perdomo is a guy that to me is not a top 100 guy. I, I won't be livid if you have him on your top 100 list but again what does he offer that is Waldo Peraza doesn't right he's a glove first prospect with a good hit tool as a switch hitter that's the one thing he's a switch hitter that's what he brings but when you look at what Peraza does a plus runner a plus defender so they're both the same there I'd put the hit tools equal if not I'd actually say that Peraza has the edge with the hit tool Peraza has way more upside in terms of the power we have not seen we have not seen Perdomo hit more than six home runs in a single season, and that came in 2021 in Double A. He's going to be a big league utility guy at the very worst, but at the end of the day, this is not somebody who I'm expecting to be some impact bat. He was okay for 11 games at the big league level. Uh, the glove will be fine. Uh, I just don't think that there's much upside here. He's a high floor guy, but again, this is somebody that's ahead of Bryson Stott, and Bryson Stott is way more projectable is the glove quite as good no but he's an above average defender he's an above average runner he's above average power he is above average bat to ball skills and we've seen flashes of at least plus pull side power which is going to translate in philadelphia stott's one of my dark horses to win rookie of the year and he's ranked at 66 on this list so he's actually behind somebody like a Geraldo Perdomo. Another outrageous one to me was O'Neill Cruz at 65. You're going to have O'Neill Cruz behind Perdomo, even if you don't think Cruz is sticking at shortstop. Cruz has put up some of the best exit velocities we've seen in the minor leagues and major leagues. I mean, O'Neill Cruz and John Carlos Stanton last year were the only players in professional baseball to have four or more batted balls in the air, 117 miles per hour. So, I mean, that's insane, right? Anything that you're hitting in the air, because that weeds out the balls that are just chopped straight into the ground. Anything line drive or fly ball oriented, Cruz and Stanton were the only players to have four or more. You know the only other two that had three? Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. So O'Neill Cruz had more batted balls in the air, 117 miles an hour and above, than Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani last year, albeit those guys were playing in the big leagues the whole season. Cruz had one of his 117 plus or maybe two of them come in the big league level in his just couple games, which is crazy. But still, to showing just showing you the impact that Cruz is able to make. And beyond that, it's not like Cruz is some just ridiculous three true outcome guy. He actually has shown steady improvement in his bat to ball skills. The K rate dropped a ton last year really between AA and AAA to about 22%, which is a big improvement for him and also is something that I think is sustainable because he has really found the rhythm in his swing, the rhythm in his load, the way to stay short to the ball despite being 6'7", to make that consistent contact while not compromising his power. 
this is all really good stuff. He still moves exceptionally well for his size, but even if you don't think he's sticking at third or at shortstop, excuse me, he's still an 80 raw power guy with a field to hit that's much more advanced than I think anybody would have expected. Not sure how you could have somebody like Gerardo Perdomo ahead of him when we're talking about the upside, and I think he's hedged a lot of the risk. Same with Stott. You know, I don't know how you can have him ahead of Stott. Jose Tena, a guy that I was not expecting to see on this list either. I think Tena's a very fine prospect. He's pretty decent, actually, because he has good bat-to-ball skills. He gets on base and started to tap into a little bit of power. But Jose Tena is not somebody that is a top 100 prospect of the Cleveland Guardians. He's just he's just not there. Uh, I do like a lot of the things that we saw, but probably not. Ellie De La Cruz at 69, I was a big fan of. Definitely like him there. Uh, that's a guy that has all the upside in the world. But if, if we're going to rank O'Neill Cruz low because of his risk, but then rank Ellie De La Cruz high because of his upside... I'm a little bit confused because these guys are very similar. De La Cruz is growing. I think he's up to 6'4 now as a 20-year-old switch hitter with the Reds who has absurd power, absurd speed, crazy tools, might outgrow shortstop. And that's a very similar profile to what we're seeing with O'Neill Cruz with maybe just a little bit more speed. The thing is here is, is what's different about these guys. O'Neill Cruz has done it now at the AAA level. Whereas Ellie De La Cruz, who I love, is somebody that really has only played in rookie ball. So I just, and barely in low A Daytona, but you could see, you could see the, the flashes in his 50 games at low A Daytona. But I mean, you also saw the issues with his approach, 65 strikeouts against 10 walks. I'm a huge De La Cruz fan, but again, let's be consistent here through this list. Mark Vientos is 71, I think is too low because Vientos is just a masher. I understand he's positionless a little bit, uh, but the guy just can swing it too well to not have him up higher. Uh, as we continue to go through, Ivan Herrera, catcher with the Cardinals. I like Herrera, not a top 100 guy. I, I talked about him a little bit when we went through the Cardinal system and wrote that up. Extremely pull happy, has to cheat to catch up to Velo at times, which leaves him very exposed to the breaking ball, was out in front on his front foot a lot. Uh, the defense took a bit of a step back. There's a lot to figure out there for Herrera. He still is the guy next in line for Yachty, and and I think he could be a good big league catcher. I just don't think he's there uh, in terms of where we see him ranked here. Uh, Andy Pajes of the LA Dodgers, big fan of his. 76 is fine if you want to keep him back from being higher just because of the volatility. I get it. Joey Bart, 79. I have my concerns about Bart, but at the end of the day, high floor guy that, worst case, is probably going to be similar to a Mike Zanino. Shea Langlier's right behind him. I'd probably lean towards Langlier's at this point. I think Dre Jameson at 84 is interesting. I mean, I think he had a great year and really improved his prospect stock, uh, but might be a little bit high and a little bit too quick to be buying that from the six foot 24 year old with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then here's another shortstop. I mean, it's just crazy. The shortstop position in this list is definitely the biggest question mark. Uh, Bryce Turang of the Milwaukee Brewers at 85. Turang is another guy that's probably guaranteed to be a big leaguer because he has the ability to just put the bat on the ball and he can pick it a little bit at shortstop, but I don't think he's going to be a regular. I just don't. 
Between double A and triple A last year, 99 WRC plus. He walked a bunch. Strikeout rate was low, but only six home runs in 107 games. I believe it might have even been more than that. 117 games, excuse me. So a ton of games, not a lot of production. And yeah, he's got a little bit of speed. He's got the ability to field. That's the big calling card. But personally, I just think he is a glove first type of guy. And clearly there's a little bit of a bias there for Keith Law with those types of shortstops. And I just think those guys are somewhat limited. The irony here is that the other glove first guy and that I keep talking about with Peraza is somebody that showed it offensively, yet we are not going to you know, reward him in these rankings. That is a little bit of the inconsistency there. I love Curtis Mead at 94. Anytime he's in a top 100 list, I'm pumped. And he's going to be way up there for us. Sal Freelick at 88 is also a good one. Brian Bello, 86 for the Boston Red Sox. This is a guy that belongs in the top 100 list. He'll be in our update. He's really exciting and someone that I think has been slept on a lot. So you, you can just see as I'm bouncing around this list, there's just a lot of inconsistency, a lot of confusion, and I just think it's hard to follow the logic here. And I think that's where it's understandable for fans to get frustrated. It's not necessarily, I disagree with your rankings. It's kind of, I disagree, but I can't follow the logic to try to understand where you're coming from. And that's the problem. And then when you try to ask what the logic is, you're not going to get a very kind and well thought out answer. To wrap up, though, there's no world where Nick Lodolo is not a top 100 prospect. His fastball is mid-90s with heavy sink, gets a ton of ground balls, like a ridiculous amount, but also can blow it by, guys. The slider is great. Law said no third pitch. I disagree. I I really like the changeup. I think the curveball has potential. The command is spectacular. If you're worried about the injuries... I'm worried about the injuries with a lot of guys, but we can't be projecting injuries out here. At the end of the day, Lodolo has good command, is a good athlete. His mechanics are pretty pretty solid, so I'm not going to project injury on this guy. Yes, his shoulder fatigue shut him down for the latter half of the season, but that happens with a lot of guys, and we don't seem to see them get docked the same way. That's part of the issue. The shortstop position, very, very crazy through this top 100 That was a bit of an issue. And then just the Julio Rodriguez thing. I just don't know how how you can't come all the way around to him being a consensus top five guy. Austin Martin at 25. I mean, we see this guy ranked high in a lot of other areas, a lot of different rankings. I'm not as high on him. I think he's a little bit boring. I think he doesn't really have one standout tool, doesn't really have a position. And when you consider all that, 25 is too high for a guy like that. Brian Rocchio at 22 is is a bit crazy. I love Josh Lowe at 21 of the Tampa Bay Rays. Josh Lowe can play. He's going to be a dynamic center fielder, plus defender, good power, good speed. He can do a little bit of everything. I'm cool with that ranking. Uh, and then going through at the top again, you're really splitting hairs. I'm I'm a big fan of of the top of it, minus Diego Cartaya at 13. Hunter Green at 12 is fine. Noelvi Marte at 11 is more than fine. Volpe at 10 is great. Again, J-Rod at 9, interesting. Alvarez at 8 is solid. And then you go through the rest of the top top 7 or so. It's the guys I talked about earlier. They're all studs. You can interchange them. They're all really good. And you're again, you're just getting really, really, really specific if you have issues in there. Reed Detmers at 19. I like Detmers a lot, but also has some questions as to whether he will be able to miss bats enough to be that 
legit, legit frontline starter. I don't know if he is number 19 uh, in the prospect rankings after a bit of a shaky debut and the susceptibility to giving up home runs. I like Detmers. I don't know if I like him that much and has some questions uh, that I think some of the other guys have as well that we just didn't see, you know, weighed in the same. George Valera at 29. I'm a big fan of Valera. I love what we saw from him. I think that's a great spot for him as well. So I apologize for bouncing around so much, but there's no table here. Uh, it's a lot of written uh, paragraphs below the names. and You got to scroll a lot. And I have my notes, but it, it's kind of hard to follow from my end too. Um, but overall, it's a pretty crazy list and probably one of the more absurd top 100 list I've ever seen. Uh, again, I, I, I like to emphasize that they're incredibly subjective, but you got to have that consistency. And I thought it lacked it in a lot of ways. If there's anything I didn't get to in this episode, if there's anything that I didn't really talk about that you wanted to hear about, my DMs are always open at RMWayton8. Also, please go follow the call up pod on Twitter. Definitely keep up over there so you can see what our schedule is and what's going on. And please, if you could take a second to leave a rating, I would really appreciate it. Again, sorry for the haphazardness, uh, but I just wanted to get through the names I wanted to talk about. Uh, and this was really the only way I could do it. So thank you for bearing with me. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to talking prospects with you on Monday for another farm system rundown and then an interview with a very exciting prospect on Wednesday.